I heard about a Quaker who uh, put a sign on his house in the window and it says, I will give this house to anyone who can prove to me that he is content. And after a bit of waiting, somebody knocked on the door and they said, I saw the sign and I wanted to claim the house. And so the Quaker who lived there said, well, are you perfectly content? And they said, yes, I am. He said, would you like to describe how come you're so content? And the guy said, I have everything that I want. I have all the money that I need. I have everything in life that could satisfy me. I am perfectly content. And the Quaker said, friend, if you're so content, then why do you want my house? Contentment. How would you define contentment? Immanuel Kant said this, we are not rich by what we possess, but by what we can do without. We're not rich by what we possess, but by what we can do without. Dale Carnegie said, it isn't what you have, or who you are, or where you are, or what you are doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It is what you think about it. Contentment. I like this definition. It said, a contented person is one who enjoys the scenery along the detours of life. Isn't that good? One who enjoys the scenery along the detours of life. How contented are you with your life? I saw a movie recently, it's called uh, About Time. I don't know if anybody's seen it. And in this movie, I'm going to ruin the whole movie for you, so there's no point watching it after I tell you about it. But in this movie, what it is, is there's this young fellow and he gets to 21 years of age. And when he's 21, his dad calls him in and he says, son, there's something I need to tell you. And his son says, oh, this is a bit of a serious, serious discussion going on here. What is it? And he says, son, I need to tell you that we can travel in time. And he's going, yeah, right. And he says, no, it's true. He says, there are limitations. You can't like go back to the Napoleonic Wars or anything. But what you can do, he said, is if you go into a dark place, like into a cupboard or something like that, and if you close your eyes and clench your fists like this, and you think of some time in your life, you can travel back to there. And he goes, yeah, right. Well, you've been drinking, Dad. And the dad goes, no, go try it. And so he goes like, yeah, you're crazy, like, what's going on? And he ends and he goes and tries it. And he goes into, and he goes into his wardrobe and he shuts the door so it's really dark in there. He closes his eyes and he thinks of a time earlier in his life. And sure enough, he travels back to that time. And he goes, wow, this is awesome. And then he travels, he thinks to the moment where he left his dad and got into the wardrobe and he travels back to, to the time. He says, you can't travel into the future because you've got no memories of that. All you can do is travel back in your own lifetime. So he thinks this is great because the number one thing about a 20 year old is, 20 year old boy, male, what does he want? A girl. Exactly. So he orchestrates this moment with this beautiful woman that he sees. And then he keeps messing it up, but it's okay when he messes it up, because every time he messes it up, he says, excuse me a moment, and he runs off and he finds a dark place, and he goes back to the moment just before he messes it up, and he gets a second chance. 
And, and the long and the short of it is, he goes through the story and he, and he marries this wonderful woman, the woman of his dreams and everything else. They have children and so on. Now the difficulty is, as soon as he has children, he can't go back beyond the birth of his child. Otherwise, if he changes something, then everything in his life past that point changes. And so he can't go back because he, he tries it once and f- when he comes back to the present day he has completely different kids. And he's like, going, what, where's my child gone? And he figures out that he's changed what happened and so therefore the outcome changes. So he's limited. His dad dies in the movie. And it's okay when his dad dies because he can travel back in time to meet his dad over and over again. But finally his wife says to him, I want to have another baby. And he knows that if he then has a baby with his wife, it will be after his dad has died and he has to let his dad go. He'll never be able to see him again. And so he has this terrible moment where he's trying to decide whether he's going to have a baby with his wife, his third child, or whether he's going to, to do that it means he's got to let his dad go. And so he goes back one last time and his dad says this to him. He says, I know why you're here, son. He said, you're going to have a, a child and this is the last time you're going to see me. And he says, yes. He said, there's something else I need to tell you. He said, what I've done throughout my life, because we could travel back, is he said, I've relived every day twice. He said, I go through my day as it is. And then he says, when I get to the end of the day, instead of going to bed at night, I go into the closet and I go back and I relive the day again. But this time, I don't relive it, like, I don't change anything, but I just enjoy the journey a whole lot more. Because he knows what's going to happen with the day. And it describes in the movie how he then looks at the day and when he's walking to work, he, he smiles at people on the train. And he brings a bit of brightness into their lives and he says certain things to them that will encourage them. And he looks at the world around him and sees the beauty of the creation about him and he enjoys the day the second time round so much more than the first time round. And he says, son, that's how you are content in your life. Now it's a movie. But for him, contentment is that kind of attitude of looking at life, enjoying life, through a different way. What about for you and for me? How do we receive contentment? Many people think contentment comes by riches, don't they? How can you be content? There was a survey done recently in the United States about contentment. And they link contentment to income. They said, how much do you earn and how content? What would you need to be content? And do you know what they found? People on $25,000 a year. Do you know how much they said they needed to earn to be content? $54,000 a year. They said, if I had $54,000 a year, I would be content because I'm only on $25,000. They asked the same question to people who are on $100,000 a year. How much do you think they needed? 192,000. What they found, it didn't matter how much people earned, what they found was that they almost needed double what they earned right now, they thought, to be content. 
And so they spend their life then trying to earn more and more and more, getting more and more and more things, so that they would find that contentment in their lives. We do it here, don't we? Do you know what the average UK debt is per person? This is not including mortgages. This is credit card debt and and things like that. Things that you buy and you haven't got the money for. What's the average UK debt right now? Do you know? Not quite ten. Six, just over £6,000 per person. That's how much they owe in this country. That's not mortgages, that's on buying things that we can't afford. £6,080 as of May this year. It's gone up from April, by the way. Keeps rising, slowly. Why? Because all our advertising says to us, you know what, if you're going to be content, you need this. You need this hair product and then you'll just be fantastic. You'll look like that woman or that guy on the advert doesn't work for me, but you know, you look like that. Or in my case, if you buy this hair product that will regrow your hair, then you'll be content, right? And or you buy this thing, or you go on this holiday, or you do this. Why? Because you're worth it. You know? If you do that, you'll be content. And you're not content right now, are you? So that's what you need. You know, you have a BMW and a Mercedes, you can't go wrong you'll be content. We've been looking together at the Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We're going to finish off that letter today. That sounds bad. We're not going to finish it off. We're going to finish off our reading at the moment in his letter. If you've got Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Because what Paul does right at the end of his letter is he gives us the secrets of how truly to be content. How we can really have that contentment in our hearts. That not, it's just not illusionary. It's not just running after one thing after another. But that we can have that real contentment. Somebody said this, they said, God created humanity to love people and use things. But we have reversed that truth into using people and loving things. And that is our problem. And Paul describes how we can reverse it back to the way God wants it to be. How can we have the contentment that he wants from us? Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. Let's pray for us. Lord, we ask as we read your word that you would just quicken it to our spirits. Teach us. Fill us. Train us how we can have lives that are content. Because that's what you designed us to be. That's how you want us to be. So Lord, speak to us today through your word. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Paul says this, Philippians 4 verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Can you say that for yourself? I have learned the secret of being content 
in every situation. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? First thing we see is that Paul says that he has learned the secret. Which means it's not inherent within us. We don't grow or we don't, we're not born content. We're born with needs. You ask any, you, look, you watch any two year olds, do you think they're content? You go, you go to a two year old in the confectionery aisle at Tesco's. Do you see a picture of contentedness? Not with the parent and not with the child. The child's arms are flailing. They're out here. They're praying, Lord, may my arms grow wider than the aisle. Because I want it all. I want to grab it. I've got this trolley. It needs to be full of sweets. And that's what they're doing. And then when the parent says no, what happens to the child? They die. You ever want to see a floppy child? Go to the confectionery aisle at Tesco's. They just go, Ugh, and they die everywhere and they start screaming and shouting about. Why? Because they're not content. We are not born content. Wish we were, but we're not. But Paul says what? I have learned the secret. So we need to grow in this. This is something that doesn't just happen like this. We don't suddenly wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm content. And then we just carry on in life with that kind of contentment. It's something that grows within us that we need to learn. You know, I didn't wake up one morning and suddenly go, you know what, I understand A-level maths. Fantastic. Yesterday, I didn't know how to add up. I didn't even know my times table. But today, I know it all. I can do calculus, I can do differential equations, I can do the lot. It doesn't work that way, does it? We have to grow in things. And Paul is saying the same here. We grow and it's a process of learning about becoming content. But equally, it's something that we can be. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul had arrived and he was able to say to the church in Philippi, you know what? I've learned what it means to be content. So it's a possibility. It's not something you have to wait until you meet Christ face to face to realize. Christ, God wants us to be content right now. But we need to learn it. And we learn it along the journey of life. We learn it as we reverse back that truth. God created humanity to love people and use the things that he's given us. But we have reversed that truth into using people and loving the things. And it's as we reverse that back into the way that God intended that contentment comes. The first thing is that it's learned. I heard about a a rich industrialist who was disturbed one day to find a fisherman sitting by his boat, just lying there lazily. So he went up to him and said, why aren't you out there fishing? He said, because I've caught enough fish for today, thanks very much. And the industrialist said, well why don't you catch some more fish? And he said, well what will I do with them? He said, well you could sell them earn money and buy a better boat so that you can go out further and catch even more fish. Then you could purchase better nets and catch even more fish and make even more money. So soon you would be able to save up and have a whole fleet of ships going out and fishing and then you'd be rich like me. 
And the fisherman said, then what would I do? Well the industrial said, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And he said, what do you think I'm doing now? But that's the problem, isn't it? We are so much like the industrialist. Saying, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. It's the rat race of life. Paul says, we can learn to be content. How? First thing he says, verse 10. I rejoice greatly, where? In the Lord. You can never have contentment, true contentment, without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know why? Because when you were fearfully and wonderfully made, as Psalm 139 says, when each one of us is made, God put, or we have, a void within us. Think about in the picture in Genesis, right back at the beginning. Adam and Eve, they're there, they're naked, they're walking in the cool of the night, communicating with God. Perfect relationship of everything in harmony, okay? They had a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with themselves, a perfect relationship with each other, and a perfect relationship with creation. Then they got selfish. Then they said, you know what? This is good, but we want more than just good. We want to be like God. So they, in the story, it says they took the apple. They disobeyed God because they wanted more than God was giving them. And it broke. Everything broke. And when all those four relationships broke, there came within us a void. A void that should be filled by having those perfect relationships with everybody, but is now empty. So what do you do? Well, generally what we do in life is we try and look to our parents. And we look at them as though they're God. Little kids, you know. My dad can do everything. Well, that's true, but, you know, but it's not true. I remember the time where I said to my, where, where I, I realised that my dad wasn't God. It was a real disappointment to me. And I told him how disappointed I was in him. I, seriously, I sat down. And I told him everything I saw wrong in him. And it wasn't his problem, because he never said he was God. It was my problem that I had held him up as this perfect father figure that should have been Jesus Christ in my life. But actually, I put my dad there and my mum there. Because that's what we all do. That's part of our fallenness and our brokenness. You know, Jeremiah describes it beautifully. Jeremiah 2.13, I think it is. He says this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's how Jeremiah describes it. It's like, it's like we've got this void inside of us and we're going everywhere and anywhere to try and fill it. And instead of filling it with the water, the life-giving water that comes from God, we go everywhere to fill it. Some fill it with their families. My family comes first above everything else. Don't care, my family first. You know, God's down there somewhere, but he's not above my family. My family's first. Some people do it in their careers. Some people do it in uh, the things of the world. I've just got to get rich. I need another 100,000, then I'll be happy. That's, that's what's going to fill it. And they get there and then they need more and more. 
Some do it in gadgets and things around. Some lose themselves in addictions, in alcohol and drugs and sex and all sorts of things. We, we run around trying to... Some even lose themselves in football. Can you believe that? Phew. You know? Their whole world. It's sad but it's true. Because if their team loses on a Saturday, they're miserable on a Monday. And it's not... You didn't have anything to do with it. But they are. They're miserable throughout the week until the next game happens. Because they're trying to fill that void inside of them with something else. And it will always, always let you down. Jesus said, you fill it with him. Do you remember him at the woman at the well in John 4? He sits there and he says, you're you're just pulling up water. I can give you life-giving water so you'll never, ever be thirsty again. And she said, I want that. That's what I want. And so God gave it to her. Jesus gave it to her. Gave her that water. And instead of these broken cisterns, these broken pipes that keep bursting and water keeps coming out everywhere, the only place you can find that true contentment, it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's where it should have been in the first place. And we try and fill it with so much else. And Paul says, you know what? I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Because he knows that that place, that place of relationship with Jesus Christ that nobody can touch, that he has promised never to leave us, never forsake us, is what is the root and the, and the, uh, the foundation of a life of contentment. And so you need to have that personal relationship with Jesus. To know that Jesus is filling you, living within you, giving you his life-giving water. And then you have that opportunity to be content. The second thing he says is this, look in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You know what he's saying here is that both of those, hunger and being well fed, living in plenty or living in want, both are dangerous to contentment. Both can be destructive. Look in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. What's Jesus talking about here? Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. First Jesus says... You know what? Wealth, poverty, all these things are destructive. The only thing that's not destructive is a focus on God's things, on things of heaven. And then he says, don't worry about things. Look from verse 25 onwards. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and drink. Because the Lord looks after the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and all these things and the grass. What does he say? Verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's saying that God knows all of our needs, so you have to be really careful 
with both poverty and wealth. When I was in Uganda when I was 20, lived in a little mud hut in the north of Uganda, it's beautiful it was. No running water, no electricity. I remember we had money because we got paid a little bit like a, a, an allowance. And it's the only time in my life where we had more money than we knew what to do with. You couldn't even spend it. Because it was market once a week and then you bought enough food for the week. But we had money, I've still got wads of it at home. It's completely useless now, like, because it it's not worth anything. Because it's gone out of circulation. But I still got, because we had so much. I could have bought anything, but there was nothing to buy. Because we're out in the rural north of Uganda. I remember one day a friend of mine, or one of the team members, the Ugandan team members, came to me. And he says, David, I've got a letter. Can you send this back to your church back in England? I said, what's in the letter? And he said, well, have a read. And he'd written this letter asking the church back in England. This is in the 1980s, okay? Asking the church back in England for all sorts of things for his church and his community. They wanted a double-decker bus to carry people around. These are dirt roads. I don't think a double-decker bus would have lasted five seconds in a dirt road with loads of potholes. It would have just ground out and there it would stand. Didn't have any fuel because there was no fuel around anyway. The nearest petrol station was over 60 miles away, two hours down the road, down a dirt track. But he wanted a double-decker bus and he wanted, you know, he wanted a, a stereo system for, for, the, for the church to be able to play music. There's no electricity. I'm going like... But he, he had a view of the West that said, we have all these things. It's true, we do. And he said, why can't we have it in Africa, where we are? Why can't we have all these things here? You've got them, why can't we have them? And he was yearning after the things. He said to me once, he said, if only, if only you would take me back to London and I could work in London and have all the things you have, then my life would just be perfect. Yet for us that have come from the West to Uganda, we were going, man, this life is fantastic. Why? Because we didn't have phones and other people annoying us every five minutes. And you know what we had? We, we had nothing in many ways. Well, we had a lot more than the people living around us, but you know, we were living in mud huts just as they were. With a little lizard that was there before I got there, that kept on running around keeping the mosquitoes down. We bought food in the local market once a week, because that's where market was. But you know what happened that year? I've told you before. We heard that somebody was coming, and yet when, when somebody important's coming from the diocese and office, the Anglican church that we're working for, you have to give them chicken for lunch, so we didn't have any. So what do we do? We prayed. We said, Lord, in your word, you said, ask and you will receive. So we said, Lord, we need chickens for lunch because we haven't got it. It's not market day. We can't go to Tesco's. There is no Tesco's. We have no way of getting chickens. We need two chickens by lunchtime. God provided two chickens by lunchtime. We said, Lord, we need eggs when we needed eggs and God provided eggs. We said, Lord, you know, the day that we needed to leave, we needed petrol to get out of the country because a coup happened while we were there. And the, the army took over all the petrol stations. We said, Lord, we need petrol to get out. We're leaving today. We've got, no, we've got the vehicle, but we've got no petrol. That day, it just so happens, amazing what so happens when you pray about things, the head of the Northern Army came in, who was a Christian, 
came into our campsite the only time he had ever visited us said just want to make sure you guys are okay and is there anything you need we said we need petrol because we need to leave because the coups happened everything stopped and actually being there as westerners is putting our our brothers and sisters in danger because we become a bit more of a target he said here you go I'll write you a letter because we've taken over all the fuel stations we've taken over we've taken all the fuel out anyway and it's in our own secret dump here's a letter I'll tell you where it is go and do that and you can fill up as much as you like that's what happens when you have nothing and you rely on God now if I was to pray today and say Lord I fancy a barbecue for lunch uh, Lord I'd really like a steak what would God say to me he said, open your wallet, in there you'll find a £20 note that you placed in there yesterday. Go to Tesco's, go buy it. There's 60,000 steaks in Tesco's this morning. Go choose one. You see, we don't have to then have that same sort of faith in that sense. And so, in Uganda, you know what happened? Those of us, when we go to places like Africa or other places in our world, from the West we become so excited because we see faith in action in the small things of life and we're going like I wish, I wish life could be like this so the most joyous people I've ever met have been in developing countries in the world the most joyous believers I've ever met have been in developing countries in the world because they have nothing but they're relying on them and praising God in spite of it And yet there's a danger for them that they crave everything we have. And we're kind of craving everything they have that we've lost. And it's always the grass is greener on the other side. And Paul is saying here, there is a danger wherever you sit on this spectrum. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you're not craving something where you're not. Because if you do that, contentment will fly away from you. Have a relationship with Jesus Christ and be careful. But then how do we get contentment? Look at verse 13. Firstly, we rejoice in the Lord greatly. Secondly, we recognize that I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That God provides the strength and the ability to overcome everything in my life right now. That's what he's saying. That's what God is saying to us. Paul recognized that in every single situation, the key was to think, what does God want me to do in this situation? Think of it like this. Imagine from this pillar over here to this pillar over here is, is my life. Right? This is, this is a timeline through my life. Okay? This is, this is when I was born, next to Pastor Christie. Right? This, I'm that cute little baby. Right? Everyone would go, aww. Right? I'm about here now, aren't I? Not quite halfway, because I'm not 50 just yet. So I'm, I'm edging onto it, right? So I'm about here. And I'm going to live till 100 because I want that card from the Queen. Right? So that's going to go out there, Lord willing. So I'm about here. Now think about my journey of life or your journey of life up to this point. Now God sees the whole thing, right? God stands up here. He 
saw when I was born, he saw every little part of the journey, he knows when I'm going to die. Ecclesiastes says that, there's time to be born and a time to die. God knows it all. He sees every little bit of the journey that I'm going to take. He knows it, because he sees it. He sees it in its entirety. So he sees, and not only does he see everything, he knows the potential that he has placed within me when I was born. He said, David, I can see it all. I can see what you're going to be like over here when you have absolutely no hair at all and you'll be bent over like this probably, right? I can see that. But I also know what I want you to be doing when you're here. Uh, I know what I want you, how you're going to be ministering and how you're going to be glorifying me when you're up here. When I'm 90, right? And still got another 10 years to go. And he says, I could see when you were 20 and you went to Africa for the first time. I could see when you were 30 and 40, when you were back in Africa again. You know, I can see it all. I knew you were going to come to Trinity. I know. And you know what God does? He says, at each stage of the journey, I'm going to give you everything that you need to realize the potential for that moment. Plus, I'm going to give you everything you need to lead you on to the place where I want you to be, too. So he's given me everything I need to be the minister of Trinity Church today. That's what it's saying. I can do all things. Through him who gives me strength. He's given me everything I need right now. But he hasn't necessarily, he's still got lessons to teach me to get me on to the next stage of what I need to be in five years time if I'm still at Trinity, or wherever I might be, or in ten years' time, and whatever he wants me to do. I still need to grow to that, so that I'm ready for that moment to do everything that he wants me to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? He gives us everything at each moment. And so for Paul, here he is, stuck in prison under house arrest. He's there chained to two guards. He's content. How can he be content on death row? Because he says... I've got everything I need right now because this is where God wants me to be. He's teaching me new lessons to prepare me for the future. And he's also given me everything I need for this situation to glorify him and to do what he wants me to do, accomplish what he wants me to accomplish right here. He trusts in God. He doesn't say, oh, woe is me, I'm in this terrible situation. Lord, get me out of here. He says, Lord... You've placed me here, there's things you want me to learn, there's things you want me to do, there's ministry opportunities here, help me to realise those, for your glory. And God does that each step of the way along the journey of faith. Each moment. And so each one of us can say that same thing. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I've got a a little um, um, crochet thing that one of the members gave to me on the desk in the vestry. It says, there is nothing today that me and God cannot accomplish together. I read it every day I go in there. There is nothing that can come my way today that myself and God won't be able to overcome. Do you believe that? Why? Because he's placed me there. He's placed you wherever you may be. And he said, I'm going to give you everything you need. All you've got to do is ask, and it's there. Ask and you will receive. Simple as that. Don't need to make it complicated. Just ask me, 
and I will give you what you need for each step of the journey. And I will use those challenges and all those things through the journey to get you into the place where you need to be for the next stage of the journey too. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And when we get that into our lives, when we understand that, when we're confident in the character and the power of God, then we can be content. We don't have to worry. He says, don't worry, didn't he? Don't be anxious about anything, he says at the beginning of chapter 4. But in everything by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and thoughts. Why? Because here I am today, I'm here because God has placed me here, I'm doing the things he wants me to do, so he's going to give me everything I need to accomplish those things. I haven't got to worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow I'll be wherever he wants me to be tomorrow, and he'll give me everything I need to accomplish everything he wants me to do tomorrow. So why stress? Why worry about tomorrow? It's in God's hands. Because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And he gives us everything we need. His power, his riches. And one last thing. Let's read to the end. Yet it was good, verse 14. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but that I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The last thing is, you know how to grow contentment within you? Because the reality is we have this void within us, and this void fills up with the presence of God, but there's a bit of it always that's in of ourselves. Those are the times where we stress and we worry. And we don't take seriously when Jesus says, Why are you anxious? Just give it to me. I'll deal with it. Why are you worried? Just give it to me. It'll be fine. But part of us, we we grab hold of things and we try and hang on to them. When God says, Just give it to me. I've got the power to sort you and to be with you in this moment. And how how do you give more to him? You do it through generosity. Look at the people of the church in Philippi. Verse 10, firstly he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you at last have renewed your concern for me. Indeed you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now Paul's in Rome, or Paul's travelling on his missionary journeys. How can the church in Philippi show concern for him, care for him? Well, they sent one of their own, they, they gave a gift, they've always been doing that. They've constantly been showing their care and their concern for Paul, right throughout his ministry. And Paul is saying it's wonderful that, you, that you've been consistent in showing that generosity. It's amazing. Thank you. And we need to become people who are generous in our care of others. That when we see people in need... 
1 John 4 says, If you see a brother or sister in need and have no pity on them, how can the love of Christ be in you? If we see someone in need, we need to be generous in going to them and saying, you know what, we care. Let me show you some practical care. Let me help you out here. Let me do this for you. We need to be generous people. People of generosity in our spirits. Not only that, look in verse 14. It says in verse 14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. They were generous in their communication. Paul would send letters back, get word back, people would go back, and they would share in his life together. A little bit just like us going out into the community the last week, saying, is this something we can pray for? We take it seriously, something we can do, we can pray for you. We don't want anything in return. It's just a pleasure, a joy. It comes out of our love for our community. We want to see this community around us being the best community, the most blessed community in the whole of the United Kingdom, don't we? You know, that's what I want to see. I'd love it if we sent out prayer cards one year. And everybody responded. And it was full of thanksgiving. Because there was no more sickness. There was no more, you know, there was no more problems in our community. Because God had so invaded our community that there was no more cancer that we needed to pray for. There was no more sickness. There were no more broken relationships. There was no more stress of young people going to college or, or sitting exams or waiting for results. Because the Spirit of God had come upon and everybody in our community was content. Everybody was just rejoicing in what God is doing. You know, we say in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They show that through communication. And lastly, in verse 16, they also showed it through contribution. It says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. They constantly gave Paul encouragement. Now, the, the church in Philippi was one of the, the, the poorest churches in the New Testament. The Corinthian church was loads of money. Full of merchants, wealthy people. Not so the church in Philippi. That was a poor church. And yet it's the church in Philippi that constantly sent. They said, you know what? This morning we're going to have a special collection for Paul. You know? Don't know where he is. We'll find out where he is. But we need a special collection for him. Let's, let's have an extra blessing for Paul. And then somebody needed to take it the 800 miles. Epaphroditus to give it to Paul. They constantly contributed to Paul's ministry. When he had nothing, he went out to work. And he would work as a tent maker during the day. But that reduced Paul's ability for ministry in the evenings. He, he, could only, he would work all day long and then preach all night. And so when the money came, he said, fantastic, now I can preach all day long. Thank you for your offering. You see, they had an outward focus. A focus of generosity. Challenge someone this week. Ask them. Just say to them, do you think I'm a generous person? Ask them, see what they think. Somebody who will tell you honestly. Just ask them, what do you think of me? Am I generous? You know, when you go to the restaurant, how generously do you tip? Do you kind of go, well, that's just rubbish. I'm not giving them anything. You know, as if it's their fault. You know? How gen- because generosity is a lifestyle. It's not just in one or two things. Generosity of spirit, generosity of your character, generosity of who you are. You want to be content? Be generous. 
Because generosity, when you have that generosity within you, it is like, it's like the, growing, the growing place of contentment. It encourages trust in God and contentment in your spirit. Be generous, people. The church in Philippi were generous to Paul. And out of the whole of the Bible, there's only one letter that says how generous. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Because they were so generous to him all the time. He didn't ask for it. They just did it out of their love and their concern and their faith in Christ. And what does Paul say, verse 19? And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You know, you can never outgive God. Trust me. The more you give away, the more God will just flow it through you. The more you, the more you use for his glory, the more he'll just keep planting it in you. And he'll just keep, you know, you'll look at your bank account and you go, man, how, how do we get all that? Oh well, let's just keep churning it out. Because that's, that's the way God works. Through his spirit. I'm not just talking money. I'm talking about you as a, a whole person. As you give, if you give of the Spirit of God within you, so He'll flow more into you. It's like a hose pipe. You know, I was out watering the garden last night, as I'm sure we all are. You know, it's no good unless you turn the tap on, is it? I can stand there with the sprayer like this, posing to the neighbours, but it's no good if there's no water coming out. And even if I turn the tap on, you know what happens? Well, it leaks out a few places like every single hose pipe seems to. But unless I pull that nozzle and let the water flow through, it won't come out. But what happens when I do that? Well, just more and more water comes through. It just keeps on flowing, doesn't it? I can't, I can't outdo the hose. It never runs out. I can't just stand there and go, hey, what's going on? It stopped. We've run out of water. Right? Only when there's a hosepipe ban, you know. But you can't. It just keeps flowing and it's like the Spirit of God within us. Whatever we do, if we're generous for Him, He will just keep flowing it through and through and through and through and through us. And the more generous we are, the more He'll flow it. Because He'll say, there's my son or my daughter. Those are somebody I can use to bring that blessing to others. You want to be content in your life? First, a relationship with Jesus Christ is essential. If you don't, you'll never trust him to flow it through you in the first place. Secondly, recognize that both wealth and poverty, having everything, being in need, they're dangerous. They're dangerous because they unsettle us. But what we need to do is have a mind of saying, what is it that God wants me to be fulfilled in right now? What is God doing in and through me today? Because he's given me everything I need to accomplish that right now. And then be generous. Be generous in your whole life. With everything that you are. Who you are. How God has made you. Because as you allow it to flow, so he'll move you on. And you'll go deeper into him. Trust him more and more. And the full potential of what he's placed in you will be realized. The story is told of a beggar that was sitting by the road and Alexander the Great passed by. The beggar just held out his hand and Alexander stopped. 
and he fished around in his pocket and he pulled out some gold coins and he threw it down. Alexander had his entourage with him and one of the courtiers came up and said, what are you doing giving a a beggar just some gold coins? A couple of copper coins would have been more than enough for his needs. He said this, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. God has gold coins for you and me. He wants to give you so much more. We can do everything through him who gives us strength. Ask him. Challenge him. And see what he will do. How contented are you? In our Bible study we've been reading Ecclesiastes. Such an encouraging book. Wonderful. Ecclesiastes, it says this. Let me find it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It says this, it says verse 14, I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Encouraging, isn't it? But some people are living their lives like that. They're chasing after filling that void within them. And Christ says this, I can do everything. And my son or my daughter, because I give them the strength. And Paul said, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is what contentment is all about. God doesn't want us to be chasing after the wind. He wants us to have full lives that recognize that with his strength, we can accomplish everything he has for us. He wants those gold coins to be poured out into your life and into mine. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for that letter that you wrote through Paul all those years ago to the church in Philippi. What a challenge to us. A man on death row, singing your praises, rejoicing in you, and saying, I'm content. Even though I'm going to stand before Caesar and be tried, I'm not worried because you're with me. Even though I might die, I don't care because you're going to be with me. If that's what you want, Lord, I know I'm going to give you the glory. And I don't know how you're going to use it, but you will use it for your purposes, for your will, for your glory. So Paul could say, I am content in every single circumstance of life. I pray that is true for us too. And in those moments in our lives when it's not true, Lord, teach us to be content. Because we have the peace of God which passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. Teach us your ways, O Lord, for we're hungry to learn and open to be taught by your Spirit. We thank you and we praise you for our journey through the book of Philippians. Continue to teach us, for we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.